Good morning. This is St. James Lutheran Church, and I'm glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. My name is Aaron Miller, and if you want to follow along in the order of service, you can find it at our website, stjamesglencarbon.org. Before we start, a couple of uh, notices. Uh, first of all, uh, we're still trying out this live streaming stuff, and so if there's some technical glitches, please just hang with us. Uh, second of all, a lot of you who are members of St. James have been asking me about giving uh, your offerings and your tithes while we're not meeting at the church, and uh, there's a few options for you. Uh, one is you could mail your check here, and um, uh, there will be somebody here uh, during the week at the church who picks up the mail. Uh, second of all, if you have online uh, bill pay at your bank, uh, you could utilize that. Many banks uh, have uh, free bill paying online, uh, so try that out. And then third of all, we're working on, right now we're working on exploring options for online giving. And I think that we're going to have something set up probably this week. And so we'll be in touch with you, and if you have any questions about that, you can get a hold of us, and we'll be letting you know about the decisions we make about that, and hopefully something will be in place uh, next Sunday. And then uh, lastly, uh, this is uh, the best we can do right now. We can't meet together in person, uh, but thankfully we have this technology uh, that allows us to uh, spend some time around the Word with each other. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we can't meet together. And one of the things that we miss out when we don't meet together is uh, the Lord's Supper. And um, right now, if you... Um, uh, at this point, the state has told us that we're only allowed to meet for necessary things. And if you if you feel like a Holy Communion is a necessary thing for you, I'm not going to lay this burden on... Those of you who are members of St. James, I'm not going to lay this burden on you that you have to do this. But if somebody out there really wants to have communion, please get a hold of me, and we can meet briefly here at the church and have communion uh, here at the church. Uh, so contact me. Uh, my email address is on the website. Many of you know my phone number. So get a hold of me if you have any questions about that. Let's begin worship. And we're going to begin this morning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. I'm going to pray the prayer of confession, and you can pray along with me in your heart. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we've worshipped too many other gods. We've devoted ourselves to all too many different values. Turn our hearts to you again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we've visited all too many sanctuaries. We've tried to find the sources of life in all too many other places. Turn our hearts to You again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of Your people today. We turn to You and to You alone to be our God, our only God. Forgive our sins. Give us spiritual integrity. Give us wholeness and holiness. Answer us in the name of Christ for He has promised to intercede for us. It is in Him that we pray in the fellowship of His body. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all your sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from Romans 5. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The psalm this morning is Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. 
I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, You know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to You, O Lord. I say, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to Your name. The righteous will surround me, for You will deal bountifully with me. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 42. God here is describing the twofold work He's going to do to bring about new creation. The work of judgment and the work of grace. And God says this, For a long time I've held my peace. I've kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf, and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for His righteousness' sake to magnify His law and make it glorious. The epistle reading is from Ephesians chapter 5. You're going to notice the same themes going on in Ephesians 5 as we notice in Isaiah and in the psalm reading, themes of darkness and light. For at one time Paul says you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The Gospel reading is the story of a man Jesus healed from blindness, and it's kind of long. I'm going to read the whole of John chapter 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God, works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It's he. And others said, No, but he's like him. And he kept saying, 
I am the man. And so they said to him, well, then how are your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees asked again, asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man isn't from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. But the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man weren't from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that he'd been cast out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it's he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. There's a lot there in that chapter. Uh, so many good things in there. I want to focus just for this morning for a few minutes on the first four or five verses when Jesus has this initial contact with the man born blind. And if I can, let me read the first five verses of this again to us. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. 
Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The world is a place where lots and lots of bad things happen. Uh, you know that. I know that. This is, it doesn't take uh, too much human experience to realize that bad stuff is sort of the way things go normally. As it is for this guy here. He's been born blind. This is his life. And in that culture, to be born blind meant essentially begging. There wasn't any sort of um, um, ADA programs for him. There wasn't any sort of technology that would help him live a fuller life. He had to beg to survive. And when the disciples walk by, they see this man who's born blind, and they know, like anybody who's studied the Bible knows, that the reason why bad things happen in the world is because of sin. The Bible's clear from Genesis 3 on that death is a result of sin, the brokenness of this world is a result of our sin, is a result of the rebellion that you and I have committed against the Creator God. Because of our sin, things have just fallen apart. And so the disciples have a theological question for Jesus. Uh, why did this happen? This is a legit philosophical, theological question. So we can know what, we can know that bad things do happen, but knowing why they happen is a deeper and thornier issue. Knowing what's the cause, like why is this happening and why is God not stopping it? What's going on here? And the disciples asked Jesus, why was this guy born blind? And Jesus' answer is not to say that this is not a result of sin, but that it, it wasn't a result of his or his parents' particular sin. Jesus doesn't say that this guy's blindness is somehow divorced from the brokenness of the world, but that you just can't label it with one particular sin. The disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, not saying that they never sinned, but that their sin didn't cause this. So, Jesus' answer is, I'm going to just give you a warning right up front. Jesus' answer is not, exact, not exactly a comfortable one. It's not one that fits well. Uh, first of all, it's not one that explains a whole lot. And second of all, it's not one that makes us feel better about the existence of evil in the world. Jesus says to him, the reason why this man was born blind, look at verse 3, is that the works of God might be displayed in him. The works of God might be displayed in him. This man was born blind so that God could get glory out of this guy. It's a really kind of a harsh thing to say, but this is what the pattern of Scripture is. God is preeminently concerned with his own glory, with his own majesty, and he's willing to do all different kinds of things to get glory, including having this guy be born blind and live blind for however many years just so that he could be healed by Jesus and the Father receive glory. Like I said, this is a pattern that's in Scripture. Let me read a few verses from you. One is from Ezekiel 36, verse 22. God says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. We like to think a lot of times that God does what he does out of a disinterested sort of love for us. This just isn't the story of Scripture. And I'm not saying that God doesn't love us. Part of His glory is His love for us, even when we didn't deserve it. But the prime reason why God acts to save us is because God loves His own glory, His own majesty. I will vindicate the holiness of My great name, He goes on to say, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. 
In Isaiah 48, he says something similar. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it from you, that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. It seems arrogant. It's a little off-putting if we knew a human being who talked like this. It'd be sort of disgusting. But the thing about God is, because He's so eminently holy, because He's so majestic, because He is all-powerful and all-good, He is worthy of praise. And it's only right and true for Him to demand that we praise Him. And so it's not weird for us to hear Him say things like in Psalm 34, Oh, magnify the Lord and let us exalt His name together. We're commanded to make much of God. We're commanded to glorify God. And that's what God is doing with this blind man here. He's getting glory out of healing him. So how does God get glory out of the spread of the coronavirus? Well, what is the coronavirus? It's, uh, why is it here? I mean, science can tell us uh, what it is, uh, but it can't tell us why it's here. Uh, there's a couple different reasons for this uh, from Scripture, just to kind of rehash what I've already said. One is, is that because of our rebellion against God, we live in a broken world where bad things happen. But if John 9 is right, the other reason it's here is because God wants to get glory by healing it. God wants to make His name great by showing Himself and Himself only powerful enough to stop it. And that's what He's going to do. Okay, objection. A lot of you are feeling this. I know I feel this too. Doesn't this seem evil? Like it feels like God is toying with this thing. Think about this guy, he's, say he's 25 years old, he's not living at home anymore. Think about this blind guy, and God has him born blind and then leaves him blind and begging for maybe decades just so that there's one, this one moment when he can come by and heal him. Seems kind of cruel. Seems like God is toying with us. And a lot of people would say, and a lot of people do say when they're confronted with the problem of evil, I can't believe in a God like that. I can't believe in a God who would do that sort of thing. A couple of responses to that objection. I mean, first of all, it's completely understandable. I don't have any answers for this. Maybe I wish God was a different way. Maybe I w wish God would make the world entirely the way I would like it to be. Uh, but that's not the way it is. In my emotional state, the way I wish God would be has no bearing on reality. What I have in front of me is the choice to worship the God who is or to hide my head in the sand and maybe make up a fake God that looks just like I want Him to look like. Another way to say it is this. You're free to reject God because of the problem of evil. You're free to say, I can't believe in a God who would let bad things like the coronavirus happen or let bad things like people be born blind happen. We're free to do that. But it doesn't change the fact that the coronavirus is here. It doesn't change the fact that people were born blind. It doesn't change the fact that evil is there. It doesn't get rid of the evil just by saying, I can't believe in a God who would allow it to happen. And in a way, this is what Jesus is doing. He's not answering the philosophical problem. He's not saying, okay, let's engage in a discussion about why evil and how does an omnibenevolent God fit in with the presence of evil in a world that he created and is supposedly sovereign over. He doesn't answer those questions. Instead, what he does is, he fixes the problem. And this is the issue with evil. There's really no good answer for it. There's no legitimate philosophical solution, either theistic or atheistic, Christian or non-Christian, to the problem of evil. It's there. 
Jesus doesn't solve that problem philosophically because it's too big to be solved philosophically. See, evil is a deep and dark mystery. It's cancer. It's intertwined in every single part of us. Not just our brain where we do philosophy, but in our emotions. It's entwined in our volitions. It's, in, it's intertwined in our bodies. And it can't be sussed out one little string of it and made sense of. The solution to the problem of evil can't be philosophical. It's got to be large. It's got to be big. It's got to be holistic. It's got to be cosmic. And so that's what Jesus does. He doesn't argue with his disciples. He doesn't try to explain things in a treatise. He just heals the guy. This is what Jesus does. Second thing, God doesn't get glory here just by Jesus fixing this problem. God gets glory by Jesus becoming the problem by Jesus experiencing and embodying himself the problem. Look here at verse 4. Jesus says this. He's about to heal the guy. And he says, to the, he says to his disciples, this guy was born blind so that I could display my glory. And then he explains himself this way. It's kind of cryptic. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming, he says. In the Gospel of John, Jesus frequently talks about The hour is coming. My hour is coming. My time is coming. Later on in the Gospel, during Holy Week, he'll tell his disciples, my hour is now here. My time is now here. There's this theme in John of this hour approaching. And when Jesus says, the night is coming, it fits in with this theme of the approaching hour. What Jesus means by the night is coming, or my hour is coming, is this. is I'm about to die. My moment where I carry upon myself the brokenness of the whole universe is on its way and it's almost here. And the way he talks about it here is my night is coming. What Jesus is saying is I'm about to experience ultimate darkness. And here's the second thing. He uses the image of night because the man was born blind and because his eyes don't work, he lives in eternal night. He lives in infinite night. He can't see. And what Jesus is saying, that, that night is coming when no one can work. He's saying, I'm about to experience that darkness. I'm about to enter into this guy's night. This guy's never seen the light. I'm about to go to a place where I'm not in the light either. This fits in really well with the uh, Isaiah reading from this morning. Let me read just verse 19 to you from the Isaiah 42 reading. Where God says about Jesus, 600 years before Jesus is born, he says, Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf is my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one? or blind as the servant of the Lord, prophesying the moment when Jesus becomes blind in order to heal the blind man. So here's the issue, is that Jesus can point a finger, snap some fingers, say some words, spit on some mud and make some, make some saliva, and temporarily fix this guy's blindness. But the fact is, is he's going to walk away from there, miraculously healed, certainly, but he's eventually going to die. In order to fix this guy's blindness permanently, so that he not only can see forever, but he can live forever, Jesus has to climb inside this guy's blindness and embody it. He has to take all of it on himself. He can't do it from the outside. He's got to do it from the inside. When I was, in first, when I was first in graduate school, I had a job at a bank, and I was working on my computer at this bank one day, and there was a program I had to use in the job I was doing, and it crashed, it shut down, and I couldn't get it to open up again. And so I called the IT department of the bank and I said, here's what's going on, what do I need to do? And they told me some steps. And I did the steps. And sure enough, the program opened up again. 
Uh, but it crashed just a few minutes later. And so I called them back and I said, it crashed again. And they said, okay, let's walk through this. Let's do it again. So I did the steps again. It reopened. And the guy said to me, let me stay on the line for a few minutes and see if it crashes again. And sure enough, it did. And he said this, all right, this is, I can't like give you the directions to do this. I'm going to have to do this myself. And he accessed my computer uh, remotely, which this was uh, 20 years ago. So it was shocking to me that this sort of thing was possible and a little bit scary too. But he got inside my computer from wherever he was at. He put himself inside my computer and fixed it from the inside. And then it worked. Uh, Something similar is happening uh, with the creation. Jesus doesn't want to just fix it from the outside. He doesn't just want to patch it. He doesn't want to make it a temporary fix. Jesus gets inside of us. He embodies our sin. God became human so that he could take upon us our brokenness, so that he could bear upon himself our blindness, swallow it up, and give us, by rising from the dead, eternal sight. Let's think for a few minutes real quick here about how does Jesus get glory in this coronavirus thing? How does he get glory by embodying the pain of the coronavirus? Well, think about the things that you're worried about. Think about the idols that you and I have that are being exposed by this coronavirus. I know a lot of us have had huge chunks of our savings uh, depleted, sometimes up to a third or up to a half of life savings wiped out by the markets tanking. Uh, This is a cause for fear. Even worse, uh, some of you have lost jobs. Some of you are not employed now. And the prospects of your business or your future job coming back when all this is over, if it does get over, are scary. The temptation here is to freak out because the thing that we were trusting before this happened was our money. But what does Jesus do? Jesus becomes just as poor as he can be, uh, abjectly poor. He lives in poverty. He dies with nothing to his name, not even the clothes that he was wearing before he died, so that he can rise from the dead and be the king of the universe, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the one who owns all the money in the universe. Jesus exposes our idols, he climbs inside of us, and he cures us of that idol. Something else, of course, is our health, right? I mean, a lot of us are concerned about our health, about the health of the people who are around us, especially because this disease, in many ways, like sin, is an invisible killer. It's always there. It's easy to not notice. And then before you know it, somebody is horribly sick. Jesus becomes horribly sick. Jesus becomes liable to death. Jesus allows himself to be killed. He becomes mortal and dies so that he can rise from the dead to eternal life. Friendships. I know this is really weird for a lot of us, is that we don't see anybody anymore. Uh, We're by ourselves. And this sort of loneliness can bring tension and even depression. Jesus himself climbs inside of that loneliness. Jesus himself was abandoned by everyone he knew, friends and enemies both, so that he could rise from the dead and become the brother and sister of all who believe in him. Jesus climbs inside of our idols. He wipes them out by his death and resurrection and he makes himself the Lord of the universe and heals us permanently of all these things. Okay, one last thing, and then I'll let you go. Uh, Verse uh, four, Jesus says this. Last thing, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Notice those pronouns there. We must work, we must work the works of him who sent me. Who sent me? God sent one person, Jesus. Uses a singular personal pronoun there. This is a one-man job. 
to wipe out the sin of the world, to wipe out the brokenness of the world, to heal all of creation, and to guarantee the future new creation is a one-man job. Only the Lord of the universe become flesh can do this. But he starts off the sentence by saying, we must work the works of him who sent me. Jesus invites us into this mission with him. And at this moment in time, just like at all moments in time, we can be like Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love. We can act justly. We can act unselfishly. We can devote ourselves now more than ever to prayer and to works of mercy when it's possible. We can take care of our families. We can hold up our brothers and sisters before the throne of God. We can hold up the whole world before the throne of God. Beg the great physician to heal the world of the coronavirus. This is something that we can do on mission with Jesus, knowing that it's him who does it through us. And so it's him and his works who gets the glory. Amen. Let's pray. God, we pray this morning that you would heal the world of this sickness, and not just the sickness of the coronavirus, but the deep and dark and mysterious sickness that lies underneath the the coronavirus, that fuels the coronavirus, the sickness of brokenness, the sickness of the fall, the sickness of humanity's rebellion against you. Give us the hearts, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit working in your word, give us hearts that long to repent before you, that long to come to you and ask you to forgive us, to work mightily to make all things new. And then all the things that surround that, Father, the fear that we have because of this brokenness, take that fear away. Give us confidence that our idols aren't in charge and that our idols have only let us down. And that those who say, you are our God to false idols will ultimately be destroyed. Give us confidence that you are the one true God, determined to fix all things by the power of your Son's death and resurrection. Make us loving towards each other. Give us hearts that are open towards those who are in need, not desperate to protect ourselves, but desperate in the name of Jesus to serve our neighbors. We pray that you would do an incredibly mighty work that no one else would be able to take the credit for. And if nobody else does, that we, your people, will say, God, you have done a mighty work in solving these problems. You have made your name glorious. By curing the world of this disease, you have given us a foretaste of the new creation. And we promise when it happens, We won't take the credit. We will give that credit to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you'd like, you can uh, say at home with me or just say in your hearts the words to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now pray with me, either out loud or in your hearts, the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Amen.